A reading from the book of Hebrews. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. The word of the Lord. All right, good morning. If you're a guest with us today, my name is Drew. I'm the pastor of Discipleship, and it is great to be with you. We are beginning Advent. Anybody excited about that? All right. We got a clap. We didn't get that in the 9 a.m. We did get some hoots. Y'all are my people at the 11. You got just a little bit of extra energy to you, and I love it. Um, But welcome. Seriously, we are entering this season of Advent, which I love as we look toward the birth of Jesus and ultimately the life he would lead, the death he would um, die, the resurrection, what that means to us. This is so foundational to our faith. And Advent, if you're not familiar with it, it simply means coming. The coming of the one that everyone is waiting on. The Savior who will break into the darkness. And as the author, pastor, and scholar of Advent, um, uh, Fleming Rutledge says, sorry, Advent always begins in the dark. It always begins in the dark. Familiar with it, if you'll remember, on November 13th, 2015, there was a horrific act that happened in Paris, this bombing. Killed hundreds of people, hundreds more were injured. I was actually at a Christian conference that included people from all over the world, and there were pastors there from Paris, and you could see the fear and devastation on their face as this news came in. We actually all gathered in this room and prayed over them and their churches and this country. And there are two brothers named Jules and Gadon Nadette, and they were born in France and they were living in New York. And these brothers, as it happens, were filming for a documentary in Lower Manhattan when the first plane hit the tower on November 11th. They were actually the only ones to have clear footage of this. And this documentary became a classic, and it actually streams in a museum in New York on a constant uh, loop. And these brothers also sought to make another documentary on their uh, home country called November 13th, Attack on Paris. And during an interview about how they were making this, they said that they wanted to approach it differently. Instead of what they had done in the previous film, instead of focusing on the bombing, the carnage, the horror, the destruction, they wanted to seek out the survivors. They wanted to try to get in their head, what were they feeling, what are they thinking? And what they found was incredibly surprising to them. This is what Gadan Nadet said. He said, as we approached them and we talked with them, none of the survivors talked about hatred, revenge, and killing. This struck him. He said, you have a choice. You go the dark way 
or you go the way with the light. And as we approach Advent, that's really the narrative here, is that it doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus. It begins all the way back in Genesis 3, 15, at the fall. The world has fallen. Perfection has been broken. Humanity steps up and says, we don't want to be under God anymore. We actually want to be God. And yet in love, God speaks of a solution, but it will cost him greatly. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Speaking of one that will come to pick up the pieces. And from this moment throughout scripture, we see fulfillment after fulfillment of these promises of the one who is coming. And we see foreshadow after foreshadow of the one who will put these broken pieces back together, the light that will break through the darkness, the one that people have been waiting on, this coming king, author of creation, prince of peace. We see it in small glimpses through the book of Exodus as God rescues his people. We see it in David as God chooses and protects this king. We see it in Ruth and her sacrifice and kindness. We see it throughout Isaiah as warning and hope come through prophecies fulfilled that all point to one true savior who is coming, one great hope of the world. And we see it today in our account of Abraham as we look a little bit at his life, the first patriarch, that it's not just all about him, but it's actually pointing to something, someone far greater. Abraham, this man who was called into a new land to form a new nation, that light would break through the darkness in the waiting. So our big idea for today as we jump into this passage or passages is that in the waiting and through the darkness, we look to the one true light, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you would pray with me and then we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you for your word today. We thank you for using imperfect people to accomplish your perfect will. We thank you for how what we're going to look at today points Jesus to you. And I pray that in a profound way, you would meet us where we are, wherever we are, that you would draw us closer to you, that you would maybe draw some to you for the first time, that you would open up our eyes to the great hope that you offer, even in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of the waiting. Holy Spirit, would you move? Jesus, would you lead us, your church? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we start here in the waiting. Here's the deal. We're going to do a little bit of a flyover before we get to our main passage today, because to understand the impact, the weight, everything that's happening in our main passage, you have to understand more about the life of Abraham. It's pretty interesting. It actually starts when he's about 75. That's when God comes to him. So if you're a little bit older today, you're not that old. Good for you. God's going to Continue to use you in powerful ways. We believe that. We see that in Abraham's life. And we pick up in Genesis 12, 1 through 4. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you. I will curse and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went. And as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abraham was seven, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Imagine being 75 years old, God comes to you and he says, hey, pack up, you're going somewhere new. 
You're going to leave family. You're going to leave the people you know. You're going to leave the community that knows you, this safety, this comfort. And by the way, let me remind you again, 75 years old, not coming to you like, hey, you're 30, ready for a new chapter? It's like, no, 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 you're 75. You ready for this? Here we go. And Abraham, what does he do? How does he respond? By faith, he packs up and he goes. Not even knowing exactly where he's going. God says, hey, I'll show you. I just need you to step forward in obedience. I just need you to trust me in this. And along the way, he's saying, I'm going to make you the father of this great nation. This would have been pretty mind-blowing to Abram, who, by the way, has no children at 75. But that's where we pick up here. And what we see is that this is just the beginning of how God is going to use Abram. Genesis 15, 1 through 6 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So he's there. He's in a new land. He's left. He's been faithful. It says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram, and this makes sense here, said, Oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. <laughs> you speak of me being the father of a great nation. I don't know if you've noticed, I don't have any children. Um, he says, In the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and it said, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. Imagine this. Imagine being Abram here. Look toward heaven and the number of the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. God makes this promise to Abram, who's 75 years old at the time. I know I've said that a dozen times, but it's important to note. And he tells him, not only are you going to have a child, but your offspring will outnumber the stars in the heavens. This had to be hard to believe. This had to be difficult. Imagine how long Abram and soon to be named Sarah had been waiting and wanting children. This dream was broken. This time and opportunity had passed. And now God is making not only a promise, but he's making a covenant. So everything's good, right? But then a year goes by and still no child. And another year goes by and still no child. And another year goes by and still no child. And finally, as often happens, I don't know if you can relate, we can go restless. Maybe doubt sits in. God, did you really mean that? Are you really going to keep your promise? I was 75. Was I just hearing things, right? But what happens and what we see is that Abram and Sarah devise a plan to sort of help God's plan along. Abram has a son with Hagar one of Sarah's servants at Sarah's recommendation. This was not a part of God's plan. This is why it's so important for us to understand the difference between a contract and a covenant. God is not in the business of making contracts. He makes covenants. If this had been a contract that he made with Abram, guess what? The contract would have ended right then because Abram botched it. Sarah botched it. And yet God makes a covenant. And he says, even though you've tried to take things into your own hands, even though you tried to sort of accomplish this plan haphazardly on your own, this is a covenant I've made. And even though you've not upheld your end of the bargain, even though you've been a little bit faithless at times, I'm still going to remain faithful. 
my promise is still good. I'm still going to move. I'm still going to work. I will not turn my back on you. And maybe that's something that you need to hear today. Maybe you feel like you're sitting here right now and you're thinking uh, maybe on this past season, maybe years, whatever it may be, maybe it's yesterday, but you're like, I botched it. (laughs) I botched it and it's weighing on me. I feel shame. I feel guilt. I feel all of these things. And I've wondered, at least it's passed through my mind, what would God want to have to do with me? Does does he really love me the same? Does he really care about me the same? It seems like our relationship is too far strained. I, I, I don't know that I could be close to God the way that I was, the way that he intended, he's saying, hey, I don't make contracts, I make covenants. If you're one of my children, I remain. So maybe today looks like handing that over. (laughs) Maybe today looks like for maybe the first time realizing how much he loves you and cares about you and then he hasn't turned his back on you. And maybe today it simply means like turning around to face him, thanking him that he makes covenants and not contracts. And so it goes on in Genesis 17. God said to Abram, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall now call her, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed. Makes sense, right? (laughs) He's like, he's like, are you serious? And he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? This didn't make sense. Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you, the son that I already had with Hagar. And God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. God's plan was unfolding and would work through the line of Abraham, and it was a far greater plan than Abraham's sin and his failures and his faults. He would still use him, flawed and imperfect, to press toward this light that would break into the darkness. Not through man's plans, Abraham and Sarah having a child through um, Hagar, but through God's plan that surpassed what was possible, a miracle birth of a boy named Isaac. In Genesis 21, we see this come to pass. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old, as God has commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Twenty-five years after the original promise is made, Abraham and Sarah have a son. Imagine waiting 25 years as these years pass. The questions, the doubts, the pleading, the wondering, trying to do things on your own, which they did. And just as it looks like this is the end of the story, all is well, the sun has arrived. What a great little pocket story in here, these 25 years of faithfulness and some waywardness, and yet God is faithful. This isn't the end at all. A bomb gets dropped in the life of Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. They have to go through the darkness. Genesis 22 starts off this way. 
It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, Mount Moriah, it's important to note here that as God tells him to go journey there and to sacrifice his son, this isn't by happenstance that God chooses this place for Isaac's sacrifice, but it providentially anticipates the area of Jesus' future crucifixion. Can you see what's happening here? God's plan is unfolding, and it's never random, and it's always with purpose, and that goes for your life as well. Nothing that you may be waiting on, no dark season that you may go through is random or without purpose, and God is absolutely in it with you, just as he is here. When it seems like a glimmer of light is breaking through, Abraham is about to enter the darkest three days of his life. So what did Abraham do? Did he say, no, God, that's too much. I'm not doing it. Can't do it. Cost is too great. No, it says he rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to these young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and we will come again to you. You see this faith in the midst of something that would have been so difficult. Didn't know how God was going to do it, but yet he was trusting as much as he could. Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering. Don't miss this. He laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both of them went up together, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Imagine how crushing this moment would have been. Imagine the weight of this. This son who you've waited 25 years, who you love so dearly, God is now asking you to do something unbelievable, something that's unimaginable. And yet you're caught in this tension between this love for your son and this love for your God. I can only imagine the weight of this. I actually read this very differently now that I have a son I couldn't help but think of Silas asking me this question. It made me step back from this passage several times because it carries such great weight. But it's important that we understand the weight here as we look to a future weight that's coming. Even in the midst of this incredibly difficult three days, Abraham's faith grounds him. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and he laid the wood in order and he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. Who would have blamed Abraham for not going through with this? (laughs) For simply walking down the mountain and saying, I can't do this. You can take my life. You can curse me. You can do what you want, but I can't take my son's life. I can't do this. To question God here, God, why would you do this? Why would you have me go through this? We waited so long. Why? 
Yet that's not what Abraham does. He trusts in God, even though it's a great personal cost. He binds Isaac and places him on the altar. Trusting in God, listening to God, relying on God, having faith in God, especially in the waiting, especially in the darkness, especially in the world in which we live, it will cost you. It will cost you. It may cost you reputation. It may cost you financially. It may cost you relationships. It may cost you the future that you pictured. It may cost relationships with people who simply don't agree with you when you stand with God and they stand somewhere else. If any pastor, if any church, if anyone tells you that the Christian life is full of ease and full of prosperity at every turn, that is not the message of the gospel. It comes with great cost, but it also comes with great promise. That there is light that breaks through this darkness. And we see this here. Thank goodness, right? God's intent was never to take Isaac's life. He is building the faith of Abraham. This father who's going to be the father of great nations. The angel of the Lord came to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. I'm sure he was glad to hear that. Here am I. (laughs) I'm here. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by thorns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son as a substitute. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. It is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring. He's reminding him of this promise, this ongoing covenant promise. As the stars of the heaven, as the sand is on the seashores, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Remaining faithful, especially in the waiting, especially in the darkness. And you may be in it right now and you may be in a tough season. You may be wondering, where is God going to provide? How is he going to provide? What's he going to do? It can be incredibly challenging and it is not easy, but it does come with a promise and a relationship that cannot be matched. God is with you. God is for you. He is not leaving you from here to eternity. And in the darkness, God will provide. How does he provide? Through the light, God will provide. This is the God of Abraham. This is the God that he trusted even to the point of his own son's death. And sometimes that is hard to believe and it's hard to hold on to. And sometimes day in and day out, if you're going through that tough season of waiting or that season of darkness, some of the way in which God provides is he simply holds your hand in that day through it, that you don't go it alone. Even as you have questions, even if you have doubts, even as you can't see clearly in front of you that God is with you, that he knows you, and he proves his love to you time and time again, but no more greatly than in what happens to his son. Everything was at stake here. The long-anticipated covenant promise to Abraham of many descendants Finally fulfilled in Isaac, it looks like it's about to slip away. Yet at the moment, Lord, God provides a ram, which is sacrificed as a substitute in Isaac's place. And we see even in the New Testament that it speaks of Abraham's faith. Yes, he was not perfect. He was flawed, but he had faith. He was a patriarch of faith. He believed. He trusted. 
even in the waiting, even in the darkness. It says this a few times in Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise in a foreign land. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even she was past the age. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who he had received the promises. And he was in the act of offering up his only son. So much of Abraham's life was waiting. The in-between. And we spend so much of our life in the same place, in the in-between waiting for a spouse, waiting for a child, waiting for a job, waiting for a clear diagnosis, waiting for resolution, waiting to be forgiven, waiting for restoration of relationships, waiting for what the future looks like, waiting for healing in the brokenness, waiting to go to college. What college will I end up at? What does my future look like? Waiting for what's next, waiting for a better tomorrow, waiting for wisdom, for clarity. We spend so much time in the in-between because that's exactly where we are. This already not yet. That we know the other side, that Jesus has come and he has conquered the grave. And yet we are trusting that he's gonna come again and make all things new. And so we live within this tension of a fallen world where there's still brokenness, there's still darkness, and we are holding on to this great light. So what are you waiting on right now? Maybe there's something that comes to mind that pops up and maybe a better question is, how are you waiting? Are you finding peace in it? Even in the midst of a difficult season, are you finding that God's plan and purpose, are you trusting his plan and purpose in the midst of it? that he's already on the other side of this season or he knows what you're going through and he's close to the brokenhearted? Do you find that maybe your faith is struggling? Maybe this has been incredibly challenging that you've taken some things into your own hands and you're realizing it's time to hand that back. Waiting isn't easy and it doesn't always come with the resolution that we hoped for. This is why perspective is so important and a greater hope is so important. And I love this little passage in the middle of Hebrews 11. You got a lot of Bible today. I'm just going to say that. We've read a lot of verses today. You got your vitamin dose of Bible, but here's one that's so beautiful. Abraham never sees all of this come to fruition, yet he's still faithful. He doesn't see the birth of Jesus. His entire life pointed to it. (laughs) He doesn't see it. He doesn't see all of these descendants. They would outnumber the stars. So how is he able to still remain faithful and still follow God and still, still remain? Well, his eyes were set on something far greater, something far beyond just the here and now, but the there and then of what's coming, of what this promise ultimately meant, this relationship with God, this promise of seeing him through, this heavenly promise. He wouldn't see Jesus' birth, but he would see him. His eyes were set as he looked to heaven on the one who would leave heaven to enter the world. It says here, all of these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Abraham knew that his ultimate home was not here on earth, but it was in heaven. It was with God in his very presence. For people who speak thus and make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, if they had been thinking of that land which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Faith in what's to come. Faith in the God of plan and promise. Faith 
in the one that Abraham's entire life, not only this account of God's plan and mercy, but his entire life is a foreshadowing of the one true light. How do we wait well? We know who we're waiting with and what we're waiting on. Jesus, the hope of the world, what Advent is all about. This great reminder. The hope for your today and tomorrow, no matter what today or tomorrow might hold, that this is not the end, that this is not our permanent home. The light breaking through the darkness, the one that Abraham's entire life was pointing to, Jesus, the Son of God, the one we celebrate coming through Advent and are trusting will come again to completely shut out darkness and make all things new, wipe all tears away. Jesus is the better Abraham. Jesus is the better Isaac in this story. Abraham left, his, Abraham left his home to go to a foreign land, and Jesus left his throne in heaven to enter our broken world. Abraham tried to take things into his own hands by bearing a son through a servant. Jesus comes and takes on the form of a servant and bent perfectly and completely to his father's will, even to death. Abraham has promised a son through a miraculous birth. God sends his only son through a miraculous birth. Abraham waited a hundred years for the birth of Isaac. The world waited with anticipation thousands of years for the birth of Jesus. Abraham took wood and placed it on Isaac to carry up the mountain. Jesus took his wooden cross and carried it up the hill. Just as Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, God provided another way in place of his son. God, in his great love for humanity, didn't provide another way for his son or spare him but instead placed the sin of the world on his shoulders for our good. Abraham and Isaac traveled three days and then by God's mercy saw a reversal from death to life through the sacrifice of the ram. Jesus, after being in the grave for three days and then rising, completely reversed death to life for us and for all who will accept the kindness of his grace. Jesus is the better Abraham. Jesus is the better Isaac. Jesus is the hero of this story. Jesus is the one who's coming. Jesus is the one we place our hope in, in the darkness, in the waiting, whatever it may be. Jesus is the one who draws close. Jesus is the one who you can trust in. Jesus is the one you can trust your children with. Jesus is the one you can trust your problems that come tomorrow with. In every step, in every walk, in everything that comes, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Will you stand with him? Will you place your faith in him? Galatians 3.29 reminds us of all of this. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise, the one who would place his faith in God, even when it didn't make sense. Why place your faith here? Why place your faith here in the waiting, in the dark, when things get difficult? Because our God is one of plan and promise, not chaos, not randomness. You see it in Abraham, you see it in Sarah, you see it in Isaac, and you see it through the scripture from fall to it is finished. And you see it in Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Plans and promises built and kept out of love for you and me. So this morning, in a very practical way, maybe this season has been one of waiting. Maybe there are questions that you have. Maybe it's been one of a bit of darkness and there are questions that you have, or maybe there's been some tension, or maybe you've taken some things into your own hands and it's time to hand those over to God and say, these are yours. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna follow. Even if I don't know exactly what that means or what that looks like with the faith that I have, you are the object of my faith. I'm gonna release these things to you. What does that look like this morning? 
in the waiting and through the darkness, we look to the one true light, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for willingly taking what we deserved. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to turn to you and to turn away from ourselves and other things. Jesus, in this room, you know every heart. You know where there's weightiness. You know where there's brokenness. You know where there's broken hearts, broken dreams, doubts, questions, anger, frustration. God, you are big enough to handle it all. Would you meet our hearts there in those places? Would you bring healing? Would you put back together pieces? Would you restore? Would you do what only you can do? The God that will provide. Would you provide in these places, in these spaces for our good, for your glory, that your name would be made great. The one that has come and is coming again. The one that we celebrate. The Prince of Peace. The one who will make all things new. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.